We're going to be um, looking in Matthew chapter 5 today. So if you've got a Bible, do turn to Matthew chapter 5. And if you have ever read or heard teaching from Jesus in the Gospels and thought, Jesus, that sounds interesting, but I have two issues with what you said. Firstly, I don't think I fully understand what it is that you are saying as you're teaching. And then secondly, even if I do uh, kind of understand or what I do understand, I don't even really know how I can even begin to live that out. If you've ever found yourself in that kind of position, then today's message is for you. Uh, today is part four in Sermon on the Mount, as Jem said, and Jesus here in this teaching is giving us the key to understanding the rest of the Sermon on the Mount and indeed all of his teaching uh, in the Gospels. And so, uh, but perhaps more importantly, even than that, is that he's not just teaching us how we can understand it, but he is teaching us how we can begin to live it. And so, as Jem said, today's message is called The Law Lives. And we, I think for today's teaching, we want to have this teaching humming in the back of our minds as we hear the rest of the series. So it's a message for us to really get hold of. So without any further preamble, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through to 20. These are the words of Jesus. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Here is my sermon in a sentence that we are going to get then to spend the rest of our time unpacking. So here it is. In fulfilling the law, Jesus is pointing to himself and inviting us to himself so that we can live out the law of God in the presence of God. Let me say that again. In fulfilling the law, Jesus is pointing to himself and inviting us to himself so that we can live out the law of God in the presence of God. And that's what we'll spend the rest of our time this morning unpacking. And to begin with, Jesus goes in strong and he goes direct. Verse 17 again. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. And that is a strong enough statement in itself. And as if that wasn't enough, he then goes immediately on to restate it. He says, I have not come to abolish them. And the reason he goes in this strong is that there is controversy going around. Jesus is this Jewish rabbinic figure at this point, And some are even saying that this man might be the Christ, the Messiah, the longed for Jewish hope. And this man is now embodying something that they never expected the Messiah would be. Someone who is kind of lax with the law. That there are reports going around that he is just, he's breaking the Sabbath time and time and time after again. And that, indeed, that's what you see in the Gospels, that they accuse him of breaking the Sabbath. They think, this is the most basic Jewish law going. I mean, this is like 101, learn it at nursery, don't break the Sabbath. And I think, who on earth is this guy? Is some kind of renegade? And 
he then directly addresses this contra- controversy head on and says, no, 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 the very last thing that I have come to do is abolish the law. And to try and get really what Jesus is saying throughout these passages, we need to understand what does he mean by the law and the prophets? And what did this mean to the listeners? The law is simply the Pentateuch or the the Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible as we know them. So Genesis through to Deuteronomy, first five books that we have in our Bible that they had in theirs, uh, is it was the Torah or in Greek Pentateuch. And the prophets was simply the rest of the Jewish literature. So for taken together, they are what we know today as the Old Testament. And to say that this was important to these Jewish people is something of an understatement. Their lives were centered around these writings, quite literally. If the, we are in Galilee at the moment, which is Uh, where Jesus pretty much spent all of his ministry um, going around Galilee. And Galilee is Pharisee town. And so if you are in Galilee and you go to a city in Galilee, somewhere like Capernaum or any of the other Pharisaical cities, they are ordered and set up in the way that the Pharisees would want them. And so if you were to go to the centre of Capernaum, for instance, whereas in other Jewish cities at this time in uh, in history, you would go to one of those, you might find a Starbucks, you might find a a WH Smith. Here, you find a synagogue. And that was intentional. The whole pharisaical city planning department intentionally centered the whole city around the synagogue. And then if you were to go into the synagogue, you would find chairs all around the outside of the, uh, all around the, all around the walls, centered around something in the middle, a platform. And then on that platform, you would find, you probably guessed it, the text. You would find the Torah. And that is where the word of God would sit, right in the heart, intentionally, right in the heart of the community. That it was symbolic that for the whole of life in Galilee was centered around and circled around these texts. That the law and the Torah for, for these people, they, it was far more than just rules and regulations. It did include all 613 commandments of how they were to live their life, but it was far more than that. It was the whole foundation of who they were. It contained within it, as you might know in Genesis, it contains the story of creation, how God formed the world, and then how he goes on to form them as a people how God liberated them from slavery in Egypt and worked through Moses to form a covenant with them as his chosen people. This law and the prophets, it wasn't just for them about living the right way. It was their story of relationship with God. It was deeply covenantal for them. These commands and these regulations, they were all part of God choosing them, setting them apart for himself and Living it out was their way of connecting themselves to the story, their story of origins, connecting them to God and them showing their devotion. So it's far more than just rules, far more than just a story. It was their very identity of God's people. And it is this in the strongest possible terms that Jesus comes and says, my mission is not to do away with this. Listen again to just how strong he is in verse 17 and 18. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, 
And then he says, for truly, I say to you. Now, Jesus says, for truly, I say to you, when he's saying something of real significance, until heaven and earth pass away. Not an iota, not a dot. He's saying not a single pen stroke of the written law will pass until all is accomplished. The rabbi uh, Pinchas Lapide, who is an orthodox Jewish theologian of recent times, says in all of rabbinic literature, I know of no more unequivocal, fiery acknowledgement of Israel's holy scripture than this. What he's saying is Jesus could not do more to affirm and to honour the holy scriptures than what he says right here. Jesus is passionately directly unequivocally saying the scriptures are just indispensable i think it's just worth asking and for us addressing for ourselves at this point is is that how we view scripture do we view it as totally indispensable in our lives is that how we see the old testament scriptures that jesus is talking about here here we get just a, a, a picture into how much jesus how highly he regarded these scriptures, how he throughout his life so far, the 30 odd years that he'd lived, had cultivated a deep love for the word of God. For many of us, uh, what we long for is, oh, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to have more of Christ's likeness within me. Well, to, to be like Jesus, to have our life modelled on Jesus, just as, as Camto was saying, to, to be ones who follow in his footsteps, to be one who are shaped by his example, is to be people who love God's written word. Are we making life decisions and, and structuring our life to make time for it, to prioritise it? Are we living out of a belief of, no, this, this word of God is indispensable for me and I cannot do without it? It's these scriptures that Jesus love, loves that he says that he has not come to abolish, but in verse 17, he says, I have come to fulfill them. Now, this is an outrageous claim from Jesus. Notice what he doesn't say. He's not saying I have come to keep the law and the prophets. He's not saying, hey, look, check it out. I'm coming to live a life that keeps all 613 of the commandments. There's an element of that to what he's saying but he's actually saying something far deeper. He's saying, I am bringing the law and the prophets to their intended end point. I'm bringing them to completion. What he's saying is, I'm taking the law and the prophets, so all that God has begun in creation and all that he's, he's done in forming us as a people, all that he then continued through the story of Israel and all that he's promised to do in the coming age, he's bringing it to total fulfilment and completion. And Jesus says, it's all happening through me. Notice Jesus isn't saying it is being fulfilled or saying it is coming to its fulfillment. He says, I have come to fulfill. He is directly and self-consciously pointing to himself and saying everything that is recorded in our nation's culture, our nation's history, it is leading to me. 
I mean, could you imagine something like this happen? The equivalent would be someone in Manchester Piccadilly Gardens turning up, gathering a crowd around himself, and so, and saying, "Look, everything that has happened in our in our history—the Battle of Hastings, Henry VIII's coronation, our World Cup victory, Brexit—all of that is about me, and it's to help you know me." I mean, it would be absolutely mad. And that is what Jesus is saying. He's saying. All of the law and the prophets are pointing towards, anticipating, promising and awaiting me. Every thread of the tabernacle, every temple sacrifice, every Passover regulation, every strain of gluten in the temple bread, the calling of Abraham, the wrestling with Jacob, David's victory with uh, over Goliath, the exodus, the exiles, the judges, the judgment, the weird bit where King Saul strips naked and starts prophesying, Jonah being swallowed by a fish, Balaam's donkey, Jael's tent peg, all of it pointing to fulfilment in Jesus. This is the boldest, most scandalous, incendiary claim that a Jewish person could make about themselves, that the scriptures are coming to an end and they point towards me. Make no mistake, this is Jesus claiming to be God. He is taking the holy scriptures, the revelation of Yahweh to his people and saying all of these things are about me. As we start to grasp just what it is that Jesus is saying here. I mean, did Jesus really mean that? Are you sure that's what he said? Luke 24, two people are walking along the road and they're discussing who, who is Jesus? How can I understand who he is? And Jesus comes to them, and they don't know it's him, and he says this to them. Well, it says this about him. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets. So that's equivalent to the law and the prophets. Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This happened on what's known as the Emmaus Road, the road into the place called Emmaus. And Jesus here is saying exactly the same thing as we read here in the Sermon on the Mount. But this time, Jesus is saying it as one who has been raised from the dead. The message of the resurrected Lord Jesus in Luke 24, in all of his glory, in all of his authority, is exactly the same. From the beginning of his ministry right through to the end in his resurrection glory, his message is consistent. The scriptures have found their fulfilment in me. And their purpose is to lead to me. And so what he's saying is that all that is contained within the scriptures is now found in himself. If you were a little Jewish boy or a girl growing up in the first century, which I don't think any of you are, but just for the purposes of this, and you were from any family that was worth their salt, you would go to school. But you wouldn't go to school and learn about photosynthesis and oxbow lakes and Tudors and partial differential equations, which is a shame because I'm a maths graduate and I think everybody should learn about partial differential equations. But you would learn Torah. That was their education system. So every single person listening into this, they're all Jewish. It has been ingrained in them. God's written word is what defines us, is who we are. 
we live our lives in devotion to God. We live lives in covenantal relationship with God. And that all happens through the studying and the knowing and the following of God's written word. And what Jesus is now doing as he sits on the, this mount, on this mountain and pro proclaims with authority is he says, all of those things, they're no longer found in knowing and following God's written word. They are through knowing and following God's revealed word, through the word made flesh. This is exactly what he's saying in verse 18 and 19. He's saying, because it might surprise us that he's just said in verse 17, the law and the prophets have been fulfilled. And then in verse 18, he says, but it's, they're going to continue until heaven and earth passed away, until all is accomplished. He's saying until the very end of history, the law will continue. But what he's saying is it will continue because it is now found in him. Jesus is saying quite plainly, to follow me is now the only way to follow Torah, follow the law. To follow me is now the only way to be devoted to God. To follow me is now the only way to be in covenant relationship with God. To follow me is now the only way to know that you are saved. I wonder what the crowds that are listening into this sermon as they gathered around this mountain to hear this great personality that's just appeared on the scene. I wonder what they're expecting to hear as he starts to preach. I wonder if they were hoping for some inspiring, encouraging words to make them feel good and then to send them on their way or perhaps to hear his hot take on the latest theological debate on Jewish Twitter or perhaps they were just expecting a little bit of a gentle challenge that they, to be a bit more of a devoted people. Whatever it is that they were expecting, what they got was an entire deconstruction of life as they know it. It is impossible to overstate just how disruptive this statement from Jesus is. He is saying everything is now changing. Nothing is going to be the same for you. The very detail of how you live every single moment of your life is about to be reconfigured. The framework for understanding who you are and who God is is going to be undergo some serious structural changes. He's saying you now need to totally recenter your lives. Your whole lives are centered around and have been constructed around synagogue and Torah. That is at the middle point of your life. But Jesus is saying, no, no, come and rebuild and recenter your life around me. Deeply disruptive for these original hearers. Deeply disruptive, but highly invitational. He's now saying that covenant relational commitment to God is now no longer found in a life dominated by strict obedience to 613 commandments that have to be memorised and lived out. But simply come, follow me. Come and be with me. Come and listen to me. Come and share and be in community with me and share life with me. Jesus here is bringing in a whole new age, the age of the kingdom. He's saying there is now no longer any way to relate to God other than deep 
personal communion and relationship with him. And so for us, we've probably already found in this sermon series and we'll continue to find Jesus's words to us are deeply disruptive. They should challenge us, just like these original hearers. They should uh, provoke the very details of how we live our lives, how we think about ourselves, how we think of God. Cause us to question, what is the centre of our life? What have we built our lives around? The disruption should be the very same. But what we mustn't miss is that the invitation is the very same as well. The invitation is come, follow me. That all of obedience in God is found in, come, follow me. That all of devotion to God is found in, come, be with me. That all of salvation in God is found in, come and live life with me. There is nothing more foundational for us to get hold of as we head into the rest of the sermon. It's so easy, I'm sure you found this, to look at some of the things in the Sermon on the Mount, take them in isolation, take them out of context and just think, Jesus, you are making absolutely impossible demands over us and on me. How could I ever live this? But Jesus here is saying, no, 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 life in God it is not found in detached rules, regulations, commandments. It is only found in a person. It is only found in a person who invites us to come, be with him and live life with him. We must remember in this sermon, Jesus is primarily talking to the disciples. These disciples who uh, you, you may be familiar with the story that they've all responded to Jesus turning up in front of them. How much Jesus knew of, uh, the, the disciples knew of Jesus is debated and it's, it's unclear, but probably at least for a, a few of them, they, they didn't know Jesus at all. And he just says, follow me. And they leave all that they have to be with him. And what this means is that the disciples hearing this sermon, they are living their lives in rich fellowship with Jesus. They spend all their time with him. They're enjoying being with him. They're eating together. They're drinking together. They're making stupid TikTok videos together. They know him. He's their friend. And he is pouring into their lives. He's giving himself to them. And as they came to him, as they were with him, he began to teach them through the Sermon on the Mount and his other teachings, how to live. They surrendered their old life to be with Jesus and then made a whole life decision to be with Jesus. And whether they knew it or not, this was a decision to then spend their whole life in the presence of God. And it's those people that Jesus is teaching in this sermon. This is the key to understanding and living out all of Jesus's teaching. This is life that enters into the kingdom of God to use Jesus's phrase. Because it's clear through reading verses 18 and 19, you can't get away from it. The law has not passed away and it will not until history ends. As it says in verse 19, these, these commands cannot be relaxed. But the law is now to be lived in a whole new way in the presence of God. 
So if you want a really, really simple definition on all of Jesus's teaching, this sermon, and in fact, all of the Gospels, it is this. It is the law of God lived out in the presence of God. That is Jesus's teaching. It, the law of God lived out in the presence of God. In some ways, it's a bit of an oversimplification, but I think that pithy de definition holds an awful lot of of the truth and is very helpful. Verse 20, just to finish. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's in this call to greater righteousness that Jesus is now teeing up the rest of the sermon that we're going to be looking into, a, a detailed expansion on his way of living in way of living life in the kingdom of heaven. We looked at this verse actually a couple of weeks ago, and you may remember that it seems like Jesus is setting this impossible standard of living, that you've got to try and live like the Pharisees. One commentator calls the Pharisees the, the righteous untouchables, or the Jesus storybook Bible calls them the extra super holy people. That it seems like Jesus is asking us to live live lives that are so holy and so devoted, or an impossible demand from Jesus. But then again, we remember Matthew 15, where he says to them, you hypocrites, you honour me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. They're living a righteousness that looks good, but is deficient. That he is calling on us now for a deeper kind of righteousness altogether, a holistic form of righteousness. Righteousness that can only come from living a whole new way that flows from making a whole life decision of following Jesus, being with him. A righteousness that cannot be lived out on our own. That's what Jesus means by greater righteousness an exceeding righteousness, a righteousness that is beyond us. Cannot be lived out by people whose whole deal is self-reliance and living to impress other people can only be lived out by those who humble themselves, accept his invitation to come to him and seek to live life with him. And next week, Rianne is going to open this up in a bit more detail. Jesus here is looking to draw us into life in his kingdom, living the law of God in a way that is only possible with the presence of God. And just to finish, I, I just want to draw our attention to the fact that Jesus is emphasising in this passage the indispensable nature of the written word of God, whilst also pointing to himself and saying life has to be lived in the presence of God. He's emphasising living a life of word and spirit. People committed to living in the truth of his word, but have a deep hunger for his presence. His presence now given to us by the poured out gift of his Holy Spirit. That there's an encouragement for us here of if we want to live this life that Jesus calls us to, if we truly want to get hold of this sermon, we cannot do without either of these two things. We need to be people of the word. We need to be people of the spirit. We need to be people who study and memorize and, uh, and digest his word. And we need to be a people who hunger after the things of the spirit. 
And so one provocation, challenge, encouragement I'd like to leave you with is what is one thing that you could do this week to just move the needle a little bit in being this kind of person, a word and spirit kind of person? Perhaps for you, you're maybe new to this and it's just finding a really simple Bible reading plan that you can, a companion thing that you can read alongside 21 days of reading the Bible or something like that. Or maybe for you, it's finding just five minutes a day, carving that out in your lunch break or something to pray in tongues. Just you know, I'm going to intentionally focus on clearing my mind so I can worship God and hear from him and engage with the things of the spirit. Or maybe fasting. We've got our three days of prayer and fasting coming up. And as I mentioned at the top, I think in today's culture of consumption and abundance, I just think such a countercultural fast track for us to engage with the things of the spirit. What's one thing that you could do to grow in being a word and spirit person? We're going to finish by singing a song just now, hand over to Robin, Helena in just a moment. But as we go through the series, I want to encourage us. Let's be trying to hold this message in the, the background of our minds, that these are not rules and commands that are detached for us to try and live out and try and obey. But this is a life to be lived with our Saviour, our Saviour who says, come, follow me.